We, uh, we're going through a series for those that haven't been here. Echo Amy's welcome. If you're first time here, you're doubly, triply, quadruply welcome. Uh, so glad that you're with us this morning. We've been going through a series called Ordinary People. And uh, again, for those, of us, for those of us that uh, you've been here every week, you'll have to bear with me. Go along with me for a few moments. We're going right back to Acts 4, verse 13, struck by the testimony of Peter and John. Two men, two ordinary, the Bible tells us, two ordinary, uneducated men who had been with Jesus. And so we're asking ourselves the question over these, over these months, how can we daily, in our daily, ordinary, everyday lives, put the words and the ways of Jesus into practice for the sake of the world? I hope, that, I hope that's beginning to, to, uh, to form in your memory. How can we daily, how can we in our ordinary, daily, everyday lives, put the words and the ways of Jesus into practice? For the sake of the world, and so last Sunday we we uh, we we looked at communion, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, Eucharist, whatever it is that you're familiar with, whatever it is, whatever terminology you use to describe the the Lord's table, is uh, what we began to look at last Sunday. And in my own personal life, I've just been so challenged, just been asking so many questions. Just been delving in a wee bit deeper. What does this actually mean? Have we in the West, have we in the, the Protestant tradition, if you want to say that, missed something beautiful, something significant, something mysterious when we approach the table of the Lord? My conviction increasingly is that we, that we have. And so last week, just to touch briefly on a few points that we, that we made last Sunday morning, if I can go right to the end, we looked at we looked primarily into First Corinthians chapter eleven. Um, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, who were who had become so their 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 coming together had had um, had exposed the divisions among them, and so there's those who had plenty, there was those that that were hungry, and they were meeting at different times. And yet still coming together and trying to call it the Lord's, the Lord's Supper. And Paul is, it feels, quite, it feels quite provocative. Paul says, actually, when you come and reinforce your divisions, your meetings do more harm than good. Imagine saying that to the church, the churches this morning. That idea of coming into the gathering of the people of God, carrying division carrying some sort of uh, judgmental attitude towards one another, your very act of coming together is doing more harm than it is good. If you're not going to sort out the divisions, if you're not going to come united around the table, you'd be better forgetting about it. I think Paul's as strong as that when he comes to speak of the table of the Lord. Towards the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he he, uh, he begins to speak of the problems, the difficulties, what, what happens when we come to the table in an unworthy manner. And what we tried to say, what has been quite challenging for me, is that Paul was not being critical of unworthy people coming to the table. 
He was not critical of unworthy people coming to the table. He was critical of people uh, coming in an unworthy manner. An unworthy manner being coming to the table, caring more about myself than anyone else. Caring more about me than, than we. Caring more about myself than, than us together. They used the table of the Lord. They used the remembering of the cross of Jesus in a way that reinforced their division. And is it any wonder that Paul said, your coming together is doing more harm than good. And as we wrap things up, as we wrap things up last Sunday, continuing to ask that question, how does this impact our ordinary daily lives? We went to the four words. Some call it the spirituality of the Eucharist. And these four words, to receive to give thanks, to be broken, and to share. And, and there were the four words that we left last Sunday. How, how, can, we, how, can, or how can this, how can coming around the table impact our everyday lives? And our day, everyday lives are impacted when we begin to receive. Nothing comes to us as owed. It's all a gift. Everything is a gift. And especially when we come to, the, to remember the cross the gift of salvation, the gift of the body and the blood of Jesus. It is a gift and we come open-handed to receive and to give thanks. Every, every area of pride, every form of narcissism is broken. It's all broken. And we come broken. It's all stripped away. We come united. The table, it levels us all. Whether we're, whether we're male or female, Jew or Greek, Protestant or Catholic, whatever we are, we come to the table of the Lord. We come to the table of the Lord and we are all one in Jesus. And so there were the, the four areas that we talked about to receive, give thanks, break and share. And I'm continued to be struck as I've considered again, as I continue to consider what this means, what this looks like. This is a place of submission to the Lord and a place of submission to each other. A place of submission to the Lord. And I think we Sometimes I think we get that. This is the place of submission to the Lord. I don't think we we're as quick. We're as quick to get that this is a place where we submit to each other. And I want to talk a wee bit about that this morning. Before we do, let me just read a couple of verses in Luke twenty four. I miss my big white table. It's all very cramped here. Luke 24, really quickly, just the, the, the story of the, of the two disciples on the Emmaus Road. Jesus walked alongside them. They didn't recognize him. He walked alongside them in the midst of their agony, in the midst of their pain. Jesus had just been crucified and they were walking back. What have we given our lives to? What has just happened? Where do we go from here? And in the midst of this, Jesus comes and he walks alongside them begins a conversation. And as they approach their home, they make this seven-mile journey, they approach home, and, uh, and Jesus acts as if he's going to head on, and he is then invited, he is urged strongly to come and stay in their home. And verse 30 says, when he was at the table with them, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, recognize these four words here, he took the bread, he gave thanks, 
he broke it and he shared it. So here we have this moment around the table, a receiving, a giving thanks, a breaking and a sharing. And it was in that moment, it was in that moment that Jesus was recognized. And for me, as I, as I continue to ask myself questions, as I continue to, I'm, you've heard me say this over, again, over and over again, I'm, I'm asking and hoping more than anything that this opens conversation. I'm never wanting to be, I, ne- I never want to be one that stands here from the front and, and goes to the Word and says, guys, this is, this is what the Word says, this is what you have to believe and go and do it. I hope you know my heart. I'm, I'm wanting, let, let's, let's go through this together. Let's wrestle through this together. But for me, as I, as I read through Luke 24, uh, considering the, the significance of what happens when, the t- when we come around the table and we receive, give thanks, break, and share, it is in that moment where Jesus is recognized. There's something mysterious about it, I know. But there's something, I think, that, that, that I no longer want to miss. Because it's around the table it is in those, it is in the receiving, giving thanks, breaking and sharing that their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. And that's why I think it's important for us to continue this conversation. Because it seems to be that when we gather around the table, Jesus is recognized in a particular way. Our eyes are opened in a way that maybe they're not opened at any other time. And so if you can go to John 13, let me... Uh, let me take some time and go through a few things that I feel like the Lord has been teaching me as I've spent some time in this in these few first few verses in John thirteen. So let's read John thirteen, start at the first one, and I'm gonna go right to verse seventeen. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. So here again, we're at the, we're at this, the Lord's table. The evening meal is being served. They're about to take the, the bread, they're about to take the cup. The devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to portray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under under his power. Take note of this, that he had come from God. Jesus knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. Because of that, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer garment and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. 
You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the, 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 I thank you for your son. Jesus, I thank you for your example. I thank you for your words and your ways laid down that continue to challenge us, that continue to motivate us. God, they continue to reveal where we are at. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, you would come and, and unite our hearts around your word. Unite our hearts in unity and in purpose and in direction and vision. In Jesus' name. Amen. I repeated verse 15 twice. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And I know that there's maybe a few people in the room that will now immediately begin to panic. Is he going to make us wash each other's feet? So just so you know, I'm not going to make you do that. So listen in. Don't be panicking at the end of the meeting that I'm going to ask you to literally do as Jesus did. I'm not going to do that. So listen in, Ian. Jesus uh, washing the disciples' feet. And I, and I think just before we get to that moment, I repeated verse, verse 3 again for a reason. Because I think that actually one of the deeper meanings when we come around the table, is that it invites us to realize that just like Jesus, we too have come from God and are going back to God. I, I really feel like that the table is inviting us to remember that, that it is inviting us to realize that. And so around the Passover feast, as the meal was being served, Jesus knew that his time had come and Jesus knew, he knew who he was. He knew that he had came from God and was going back to God. And so as we gather around the table today, can I, say that? can I say that at the outset? That this is an invitation to realize just like Jesus that we have come from God and are going and are returning to God. And as I've already mentioned, that I think this is one of the most incredible moments, the most stunning example of humility and vulnerability that I've ever, that I've ever read or I think that was ever experienced by these 12 men around the table. That Jesus, the Son of God, <laughs> creator of heaven and earth, would take off his outer garment, put a towel around his waist, and get down on his hands and knees and begin to wash the feet of these 12 men. He began to wash the feet of the one that he knew would betray him. He began to wash the feet of the one that he knew would in not too long from now deny him. And he got down on his hands and knees and in complete humility and stunning vulnerability began to wash their feet and began to dry their feet. And as I've said, I said it last week, I've already said it in our introduction today, the table is a challenge for us, I believe, to submit to the Lord and to submit to each other. And I think that's why we have... Uh, why we have the Lord's table in the context 
of the washing of the disciples' feet. And can I say the only way that we can submit to each other is by taking off, uh, and I'm, meaning, I'm not meaning physically, I hope you follow me, I hope you follow this thought for a, for a few moments. The only way that we're ever going to submit to one another is by taking off the outer garments. And, and when I say that we're taking off the outer garments, that, that we have clothed ourselves with labels, we have clothed ourselves with denominational tags, we have, to, we, have, we have clothed ourselves in such a way that we use the things that we put around us to define us. We use the things that we wrap around us to define other people. And can I say as we come around the table to submit to him and to submit to one another that we, that we would consider taking off the outer garment. That we would consider taking off the label and the denominational tag that is all it has done is to divide. All that it has done is to reinforce the thing that has divided us. And so can I say that, that we would take off the outer garments because it is that that can so divide us. And it is the taking off of the garment that, that allows us to wash each other's feet across all areas of difference, across all areas of division. And that's why, I'm, that's why I keep on saying this, at the risk of repeating myself, I, I sometimes fear that whenever I'm presenting this from the front, right? I'm telling you now, the enemy doesn't want me preaching this, he's pulling, me, pulling my cord out. I, uh, I'm, maybe I'm being too defensive, but I, I'm just wanting you to know that I, um, I don't have this all worked out. I don't wait till I have something all worked out before I stand up here and preach it. I know that there's people that do that. They wait to have it all worked out. They wait till they have it fully lived out before they get up to preach it. I want to say that I'm not one of those people. I'm I'm at this place where how can we do that? How can we take off the outer garment that that so divide us, that so prevent us from from washing the, the feet of those across all areas of difference and across all areas of, of um, division. How can we can't be like Jesus in this moment of deep, deep vulnerability? I said it last week that this is not, I think I said it last week, this is not a private act. I know that there's something important about our coming before the Lord around the table as, as, as individuals. But this is not exclusively a private act of devotion. And that might be shocking for some people to hear. <laughs> that the table is more than a private act of devotion. It's more than a private act of devotion, absolutely. This is a communal act of worship. See, this is more than, than, a, private, than a private act of having our debts squared with God. John 13 reminds us it's a call to service. It's more than a private act of squaring off our debts with God. It's a call and a grace for service. And so verse 15 again, we'll repeat it. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And so in the context of the communion, the call is that we go from a place of worship to a place of service. And so in Matthew's Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, and in Mark, chapter 14, and in Luke, chapter 22, we have Jesus holding up the bread 
him holding up the cup. This, and he, and he, and the, and the, and he brings us the words uh, of the institution, the, the words of the what we have, what we have inherited. We continue to use the the same words that Jesus used in these moments in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He holds up the cup. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he holds up the cup. This is this is the cup. It's a it's a reminder of the new covenant. Take this in remembrance of me. And we have that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But but again, John, and and it's why for me it's been been so striking to go to the the Gospel of John because he doesn't have Jesus holding up the cup. He doesn't have Jesus holding up the bread. He has Jesus holding up the towel and the basin. He doesn't have Jesus introducing the, the Lord's table with the words of institution, with the words of the tradition that's been passed down. And I just feel that, that as I read through John's, John's account of this moment, that gestures, it's gestures that we need. And I think today it is gestures that the church need, gestures that the community need. And the words are important. And we will use them again today. The words that this is, that this is his body broken for you. Take it in remembrance of him. We still want to use the words, but the words are meaningless. The words are, the words are important, but they're meaningless if they are not being lived out in humble service. The words are important. Please hear that, it, please hear that I've said that. The words are important. What's been instituted is important. But if it's not, I think John's account teaches us that if it's not being lived out in humble service, it's not following the ways of Jesus. It's not following the pattern that he laid out for us. That's how the message version puts that same verse. This, Jesus speaking, I have laid, this is the pattern that I have laid out for you. And so I'm, I'm struck as I, as I follow on the story, we come again to the book of Acts. And we, be, and we begin to see this being lived out. In Acts chapter 2, Verse 42 to 47, we, we get an insight into the priorities of the early church. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, we're told that they continued daily with one accord in the temple. They continued daily with one accord in the temple. And the King James Version says that they broke bread from home to home. And so they still met. So we're going to do it. This is, in some ways, let's say this is our temple. And so they met, they met, they met, and they took part in the in the breaking of bread at the at the temple, at the gathering of the of the bigger group. But they also broke bread from home to home. See, it's like the table was on the move. The table was on the move, and I touched on this last last Sunday, that throughout most of church history. That what was central, what was central in the service was the Lord's table. So they gathered first around around the bread and the and the cup. And then they came to the word. And something has shifted over the last few hundred years. And we talked about even even the architecture. The right front and center in at the front was the place for the, the bread and the cup. The man that was doing the preaching was off over to the side. They gathered first around the, 
around the communion. And then they went to the Word. I shared this with Eugene. I was, some of us were away with, uh, with Eugene and Dara, and mum and dad had us, uh, dad invited me this year to the conference. And uh, <laughs> we were in Ukraine, we had a wonder, uh, incredible time with the most wonderful people. And uh, actually the most wonderful people even in our group, Gene, Sam, Pete, uh, Ian. And, um, and anyway, so, so for those of you that know Eugene, forgive me if, if you don't, but Eugene is passionate about the word. If I am running out of things to say with Eugene, I'll just quote some Bible verse and he'll go for 20 minutes and we're good. So I told Eugene, Eugene, you were that for, the, for most of church history, for the first 14, 1500 years of church history, they gathered first around the table and then the word. And his, he looked so upset. He was proper annoyed. So, uh, but that's, what, that, that's the truth. That's what happened. They gathered first around the Eucharist, around the table, and then the word. And the, but if I can, just go touch on history a wee bit more. Just because I brought up that in the early church they they met with in one accord. I love that they met in one accord. Do you know what? Sometimes I I love the King James says stuff in a way that no other version does. They they continued daily with one accord. My prayer for us. And they broke bread from home to home. And that was the pattern. That was the pattern for the first two or three hundred years in the early church. And then we have, and then we have. The story of Constantine, the Roman emperor who came and made Christianity the official religion of the empire. And in some ways, I think it, in many ways, it had a negative impact, I, I feel, on the, on the pattern that they had established in those first, in those early, early centuries. Because Constantine took the Lord's table from the neighborhood to the fancy, ornate buildings that they had built. And then they took it even further and they took the leadership of the table. The leadership of the table shifted from the leaders among the people to the priests above the table, or the priests above the people. And so there was a shift. There was a shift took place. They took the, the Lord's table out of the neighborhoods and into the buildings. Took the the leadership from among the people to priests above the people. And so I would just want to push back against that a wee bit for the, the remaining moments that we have. Because as I take, as I look at the Lord's table, but as I continue to read through the whole Gospels and get caught up once again in the, in the table practice of Jesus, I feel like the Lord's table happens every time we share a meal together and Hear the and. The Lord's, the Lord's table happens every time we share a meal together and we tend to the presence of Jesus. I think there is a moment, there is times where, where the Lord's table can happen when we gather together, when we share a meal together with people and we tend to the presence of Jesus among us. And so I know that the formal, if we can call it that, for the sake of a better word, the formal table practice, it, it happens here but it extends from here. And I feel like that is the, the pattern that Jesus left for us. That, that the table, we take, we're going to take, the, we're going to take the emblems this morning. 
formal table practice happens here, but it extends from here. And so again, I'm continuing to hope for conversations. Hopes that will ask, what is it called? You keep changing, and I'm so aware of that. Forgive me. I keep going from Lord's table to communion to Lord's supper to you. Um, forgive me. I'm... But so what is it? What should it be called? Who is it for? What does it actually really mean? How often should we do it? These are, convers- these are questions that I'm longing for us, that longing to open up for us to, to have a conversation around. But can I, three places where I feel like the table can extend from here. First of all, it's in the home. And I think I'd love to take some more time in this, maybe in the next number of weeks. I'm becoming increasingly passionate about us being, being a people who will redeem the family table in the busyness of life, in all that is going on. And many of you are just like me, and if it's not busyness with kids, it'll be busyness with something else. And so Caleb's at football and Jada's at swimming and Jada's at, at dancing and, and there'll be times where you get caught up. I can be out in the evenings and Judith can be out in the evenings. If Caleb's got football on a Saturday, you're back into church on Sunday and, and in the busyness of all of that, I'm increasingly realizing that there is the family time around the table is probably the most precious time of our week. And it is something that I will, that I will fight for. Until, I don't know when. But it is, so can I, can I, can I bring up a, one of the conversations that I think uh, could happen, could take place when we ask the question, how often should we take, how often should we gather around the table? And I know that there's times where, where, we, where we, there's been weeks have went past when we have not taken the cup, taken the bread. And I get it, I'm one of these ones that, that realize that if we're just doing it for the sake of it, if we're just doing it out of routine and out of ritual, then is there any point? But let me, can I just share a few thoughts that I've had around the family table and see how I'm trying to, trying to ask some questions when I implement that around the Lord's table. See, the gathering together at 5.30, 6 o'clock around our family table has become predictable. It has become daily. And we, we do the same routine every single night. It is the same routine. We will get around the table. We will serve the food. And we will look around at our board. Whatever day it is, this is who we're praying for. We'll pray. Thank God for the food. We'll begin to eat. And then I'll ask the same questions I ask every night. What's been, the fear, what's been the highlight of your day? What's been the most challenging part of your day? And then we'll enjoy a meal together. And there is times where that is, is painstakingly dull. There's times where the kids have just no interest in getting involved. There's times when they just could not be bothered fully entering in. And so it ends up real feelings aren't shared. They just want to get it over and done with. Real feelings aren't shared. There is times where even in the midst of of genuine protest, Daddy, do we have to do this every night? Even in the midst of protest, 
Even if the protests are, it's pointless. What do we need to do this for? Um, we're, I'm, I'm still fighting for it. We're still going to do it. And you're not leaving the table until you tell... This sounds awful. You're not leaving the table until you tell me the best part of your day. We're not leaving the table until we enter into conversation. You're not entering into the... You're not leaving the table until we've had... Until some conversation has taken place so we know what's been going on in your day. We know what's been going on in your life. And you're going to sit there because you're, you're going to hear what's been going on in my day. And what's been going on in my life. Because it's really important. And there's times where it feels like, is it worth it? There's times where it feels like, should we just allow them to bring the device in? There is, there is no devices around our dinner table. And um, times where it's not exciting. But ultimately, this is why I do it. As I look at statistics, as I hear stories of other families who have compromised and give in to the significance and the importance of gathering around the table. And this is maybe going to start over the top. This is maybe going to sound really extreme, but I believe it, that if we don't do this, we fall apart as family. I am convinced that we do this because if we don't, we fall apart as family. And I will fight for our kitchen table. I will fight for the dining room table at six o'clock, asking the same questions, doing the same rituals without the same devices around the table. Because if I don't fight for it, we're going to fall apart. And you might find that extreme, but I am convinced of it. And I'm only realizing how convinced I am of it as I continue to talk to you. <laughs> and so can I show you, show you this? I don't know if how sometimes there's things come home from rock or sometimes things come home from the kids that, uh, that maybe you don't pay much attention to. But we took this home. This was, came home last, two weeks ago. And we gathered around the table for family time. And there's a main point around prayer. There's what you need. There's what you do. There's a family quiz. And there's a discussion. And so before I asked the questions that I asked, we did this. And, uh, and it was beautiful. It was incredible. The kids, the kids have then asked, when, when can we do that? When can we do that thing? Again, we did from the sheet. When, we, when I asked, even, listen, even Eli, when I asked Eli, what, what's been the best part of your day after doing this? It, Daddy, it was whenever we did that, those questions. It's whenever we did that, took part in that sheet. And so encourage the kids, the kids, guys. It was such a significant part of our day, significant part of our week. And so the Lord's table invites us to gather as family. And so I'm wondering, I'm wanting you to have conversation with me. I'm wondering if, even though there's times where this feels like it's the same old thing, even though there's times where it maybe feels like it's not as exciting, it maybe feels like my real feelings aren't even being shared, is it important that we just continue together? Is it still important that we still gather together because if we don't, we fall apart as family? So I think that the, the, it's going to happen here formally, but it extends from here. It extends from here to our home, around the, our, our immediate family. But can I challenge you also, that from your own home that you would begin to invite your neighbors, you would begin to invite those who are curious, you would begin to invite unbelievers around your table. Because I still believe that the Lord's table happens every time we share a meal together with people and tend to the presence of Jesus. I think we can be sharing a meal with people, even those who are onlookers, those who are curious. Actually, in Mark chapter 6, 
Mark chapter 6 is the account of the feeding of the 5,000. So amongst this mass of people, I am sure there is many who are curious. There are many who are onlookers. There are many who are just suspiciously looking on. But even there, Jesus says, you host. He says to the disciple, you host the meal. You give them something to eat. And 6 verse 37, I think it is. You give them something to eat. And they go and get something, and then they bring it to Jesus, and then Jesus does those four words again. He, he receives it, he gives thanks, he breaks it, and he shares it. And I think even there, I think even in those moments as we host, as those disciples, as those followers of Jesus, I almost feel the same call comes to us. You give them something to eat. And as they are gathered, tend to the presence of Jesus. And as you tend to the presence of Jesus, the kingdom breaks in. Just the way it did in Mark chapter 6. And I think just the way it did in Acts chapter 27. Paul has been shipwrecked. What does it say in Acts 20? There's 270 plus people on the ship. And Paul's in the minority. There's him and there's a few others of his travel companions that are with him. Not not surrounded by a load of believers, but Paul gets some bread. And in the midst of in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of fear, in the midst of are we going to survive this, Paul invites those who are fearful, those that are unbelieving, and he invites them around the table. Not literally, he invites them around the bread, the breaking of bread. And so again we're told in Acts twenty seven, Paul gets the bread, he takes it, he he, he gives thanks. He breaks it and he shares it among them. Everyone is welcome around the breaking of the bread. Because there's a moment that he tends to the presence of Jesus and the kingdom breaks in. And they are rescued, every single one of them. So we invite others to the table. We break the bread and we tend to the presence of Jesus. And I'll push it one more step further. Really quickly, that we would tend to his presence even when it means submitting to the table of others. Even when it means submitting to the table of others. Because even there, we can see his kingdom breaking in. So in case you don't believe me, go to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 is just two or three verses. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, actually let me read before that. As he walked along, Speaking of Jesus, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, Jesus came. There's times where we need to be the ones that host. Times where we need to invite people into our home, extend the table to our home. There's times when we go, we have dinner at the table of the Levites, of the tax collectors, of the sinners. And that's where Jesus was, eating with them and his disciples. And there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law who were with, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners. See, this was a big deal. This was a really big deal, extending the table to eat with sinners and tax collectors. They were affronted. And they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? This was a big deal what Jesus was doing. It was a big deal submitting himself to the table of the tax collectors and the sinners. And Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, 
but sinners. And again, if, you were, if we were to go into um, Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19 is the story of Zacchaeus. And, uh, and Zacchaeus is up the tree and Jesus, Jesus looks at him and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today for, for dinner. I'm coming to your house. And so he comes and Zacchaeus brings him to his house and in those moments, I believe, it doesn't tell us, but I think around the table, around the table, Jesus was recognized. As they ate together, as they ate together around Zacchaeus' table, Jesus was recognized and the kingdom broke in. And the kingdom broke in in such a way that, that Zacchaeus couldn't help but reconcile. And I think that's what happens when we, when we simply come to the table. We tend to the presence of Jesus. That reconciliation, it, it, it happens, it almost automatically happens when we tend to the presence of Jesus and his kingdom breaks in. Reconciliation happens. Restitution, a restoring of all that was, all that was lost happens at the table. And the challenge, that's, that's the example of Jesus, but even his disciples in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 when Jesus sends out the 72, listen to what he says in verse 8 of Luke chapter 10. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Submit yourself to the table of others. Eat what is set before you. And I think it's important for us to notice the order. Notice the order. Eat what is set before you and then heal the sick and then Declare that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is right here. That was, the, that, was the, that was the charge that Jesus sent the 72 with. After you have set, sat at their table, after you have shared the meal, and you have tended to the presence of Jesus, wait for the moment to present him. Wait for the moment to present the good news of the kingdom because it's close. It's close and it can happen around, it can happen around the table with our family. Uh, it can, it's going to happen right now. It can happen around the table with our family. It can happen as we invite anyone through the doors of our home and we tend to the presence of Jesus and allow a moment for the kingdom to break in. And it can even happen. It can even happen when we accept the invitation to go and to submit ourselves and to sit at the table of the other, someone who is different than us someone who doesn't think the same way that we do, and rather than, than entering in and announcing that the, new, the good news of the kingdom is among you, the challenge for us is that you would wait, that you would eat what is set before you, that you would spend time around the table, and you would lean in and pay attention to the presence of Jesus. To go back to Luke 24, it's not whether Jesus is present or not, it's whether he will be recognized. Because he's present. We say that from the beginning. It's not whether he is present or not, but will we make him visible? As we come around the table, and as we sit at the table, it's not whether he's present at the table, but will he be recognized? And so I think, he, I think he'd be recognized right now. Recognized around the family table time. Recognize when we invite others around our table and recognize when we are ready to submit to the table of others. This is the example of Jesus. 
And I don't know what you're thinking about what I've shared this morning. I don't know whether you're thinking, have I pushed it too far? There's been times where I've wrestled with that. There's been times where I've looked at that, but as I look at the big picture, as I take a look at Jesus, and there's times when I'm watching the challenge that Paul lays out before us, I'm like, there's times where I think I'm not going far enough. This is the example. I've laid down a pattern for you to follow. And it's when you gather around the table and it's even whenever there's ones around the table that might betray you. It's ones around the table that might deny that they even know you. It's in there that you take off the outer garment and you get in your hands and knees in humble service and you tend to the presence of Jesus and you allow for a moment the kingdom to break in because it's close. You're carriers of the good news of the kingdom. Holy Spirit dwells within us. The kingdom is never far off. It's always close at hand. And will we pay attention? Will we make it visible? Will we recognize it? And I think it's times at the breaking of the bread that our eyes are open and we recognize him. And so Jesus, I pray, seek your face. Long that we would recognize you this morning. Long that we would experience something of your kindness in our time of of reflection in our time of worship, in our time of tending to your presence, in the time of trying to pay attention to what you're saying. God, that we would recognize. We would recognize the voice of grace. We would recognize the longing for intimacy. We would recognize the, the call to get rid of shame. The call to get rid of the lies that consume us. Holy Spirit, we just calm and break down those Barriers in our mind, barriers in our family, barriers in our neighborhoods, barriers in our relationships. We want to tend to your presence in such a way that your kingdom would break in. In Jesus' name.